Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweller since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Long Talk. Hi, I'm Paul, the guy behind Driving Mall, and welcome to New Zealand Sports Radio. And today I have an absolute treat. We have uh, Ben Kennings from Surfing New Zealand. How are you doing, sir? Good, thank you, Paul. How are you today? Yes, very good. It's uh, a bit grey outside, but hey, I hopefully will get out for my walk. Uh, but stay within my bubble. Keep your distance, folks. Um, social distancing. Um, the... Uh, and obviously, that's that's been a big issue for you guys because you've not been allowed to surf. How's that? Uh, how's that been impacting the community? Yeah, it's it's been a challenge. So that first week of the lockdown, it was sort of a little bit of a grey area, and and some people surfed. Unfortunately, not me. Uh, until they come out with that rule number seventy, which uh, stopped anyone from going in the water. So um, the last three weeks have been a challenge, and as many would have seen in the media, there's been a few surfers that have broken those rules and brought it to the attention of everyone. Uh, but hopefully, uh, under level three, perhaps by four o'clock this afternoon, if it gets announced, um, we'll be able to surf by Thursday. If not, when level three comes, we'll be able to surf. And I think it'll be one of the few sports that will be able to actually get out there and do something. Yeah, yourselves and mountain bike apparently as well. So anyway, but that's that's that's, yes. that's, a, <laughs> that's an aside. So I've got someone lined up to talk about for mountain biking later in the week. So folks, don't forget to subscribe and like uh, and all that kind of stuff so you don't miss out on any of those interviews. Um, but how did you get into surfing? How, how did you get your feet wet? Uh, I come from a surfing family. So grew up at the beach. Uh, my dad got me into surfing uh, before the age of five. And I've been out and I've surfed ever since. So grew up at Whangamata, and that's where I'm based at the moment. Um, spent a lot of time in Hamilton and also at Raglan and traveling the world surfing, but yeah, basically born into it and um, lo just love it. So just the surfing family, all my brothers surf, my wife surfs, now my kids surf as well. And um, as you just heard there, folks, age of five. So if you have any young kids that want to get into surfing, um, doesn't matter how old they are, as long as you can sort of, I guess, stand, is uh, you, you can have a go, is it? Yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, you, you do want to have a certain amount of um, ability in the water. So you need to be able to tread water. You need to be able to swim. Um, my dad always said, if you can't swim to go and get your board, then you're not coming out with us. So we learned to swim, but swim at a really young age. Um, that's that's the main thing. But you, you are attached to your board, so it's not as bad as what everyone thinks. And if 
if you go to a uh, proper surf school, um, you can get some really good lessons, and they're amazing at getting you up on your feet and um, getting your riding waves. Cool. So you said you've you've travelled the world surfing. Was uh, as a professional surfer or, or or as a teacher? How did you? How far did you go? Uh, yeah, a little bit of both. So um, competed for New Zealand as a junior, and I've travelled to through Indonesia and um, France and Europe um, competing, and then also um, just travelling around like through the Pacific, um, Tahiti, Fiji, Samoa. Um, through the Americas, a little bit of Europe, Australia, Indonesia. So, um, you know, surfers are very well-traveled people. They, they want to get out of New Zealand like everyone does, uh, but your board's under your arm and you're going to somewhere along the coast. So um, plenty of surf spots around the world to um, visit and explore. And somewhere with not too, too cold water, if, if, if at all possible as well. The, um, <laughs> the, so how did you move into the kind of the administration or the, the running, the sports side of things? Yeah, so um, I mean, I was always really interested in competition. I competed since you know before my teens, um, and I always loved surfing, not just as a lifestyle and as a recreation, but as a sport. So that side interests me. Um, as I went through um, high school and into um, tertiary education, I got the opportunity to uh, be the athletes rep for Surfing New Zealand. So I was on their board, and. Um, worked through that for a few years and then as our organization grew I became or a a place uh, became available when I applied and got the job to be comms and event manager so that's where I started. And you mentioned there about the 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 lifestyle and competing I mean I've seen you see plenty of surf movies where the, the 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 kind of the hippie kind of guy enters a sports competition it does really really well then someone drags his cable um and he actually and he becomes philosophical about it, and it's yeah, because it's not about the competition; it's about the lifestyle, it's about the waves. How do you, how does sport, uh, how, sorry, how does surfing kind of marry that kind of chilled out um, surfer dude image plus the highly competitive world of of, of, of high performance sport? Yeah, it's a, I think it's a challenge. So first and foremost, everyone surfs for the fun of it and to enjoy it. So you have that freedom side of it. That's where you always start. That's where you always finish. But those that want to take their surfing further can compete. And um, we have a competition pathway right from juniors through to seniors. So people choose to do that to challenge themselves, um, to challenge themselves against others as well. And now that we're an Olympic sport, um, we get to go to the highest echelon and, and really you know test ourselves against the best around the world. So... It's a challenge. Um, as a sport, we definitely focus on the competitive side of it, and um, we're now looking to see how we can branch out a little bit more and make sure that we represent all the recreational surfaces as well. And there are, and this, I'll be honest, my, my knowledge of surfing is pretty minimal, but um, you have sort of long boards and short boards. Uh, when you say going to the Olympics, it, that's all the, the fancy twisting around in the in the in the big waves with the shorter boards, not the long board kind of walking forwards and backwards and uh, side of things? Not bad knowledge, not bad knowledge. <laughs> yep, definitely, Olympics is the short boards. So um, a little bit like, say, cycling, for example, um, you have a whole lot of discipline. So surfing, you have the short board, which is made at the Olympics. Uh, you have longboard surfing, where surfing originated. You have kneeboarding as well. We just held the World Kneeboard Champs in Dunedin in, uh, at the start of March. Um, you have bodyboarding, so... Um, lying down on your stomach, and stand-up paddleboarding, which has become very popular in the last 10 years. 
Um, and then more recently, you've got foil boards, uh, a little bit similar to the America's Cup, where the boards actually aren't on the water, they're on a foil, so that's becoming um, quite popular as well. But shortboarding is where the majority of surfers are, approximately about 60 to 65% of the surfing community are on shortboards. And the foiling one, you need a kite, don't you, to, to, to get the power to get yourself up? Right? No, so you can have the kite, yep. uh, or you can have a stand-up paddle board and paddle in, or you can have um, just a standard surfboard, or slightly different, modified. Um, but once you're up, the wave picks you up and you, you can ride uh, a lot of different waves. So you can ride um, big waves on a foil, but you can also ride some really small, mushy waves and actually opens up the ocean a lot more for for people who want to give that a go it's a pretty amazing thing to see wow and, it's, and, and that's actually, and that's already reached a competitive level or is it still not quite not so quite. yeah there's a couple of sort of get togethers more so that where they're giving it a go and um one down in gisborne is the main one but um before long i think it will be a discipline that they'll compete in and um you're pretty spectacular a lot of the hawaiians do it um they actually do a lot of open ocean foiling where they foil between two islands um, and just catch sort of big wind swells and open ocean waves, and they can go for hundreds of meters. Really spectacular! Wow! Now there's a uh, a sport that's designed for drone footage. Um, yeah, to, to, exactly. <laughs> following them, following them along. Wow! Um, and uh, sorry, and is paddleboarding a competitive sport, or is that just that? Yes. Oh. Yep. So we have uh, um, there's a world tour for stand up paddleboarding, and there's also the world stand up paddleboarding championships run by. Um, the International Surfing Association, so New Zealand sends a team to that event every year, and we've got several medals in that, predominantly from the paddling disciplines rather than the surfing, but um, yeah, we have a lot of really good stand-up paddleboarders in New Zealand. Wow, okay, I realize, I, I, you've, you've opened my eyes as to how many different disciplines um, there, there there are in all of that, that's uh, that's that's amazing. So, yeah, you've, so that by the sound of there's, there's five, about five teams that you put together, so how, how is New Zealand uh, or sorry, surfing New Zealand get the right around um, structured in that, in that part of the. You say, do, do you have teams that are travelling around the world all the time, or how? Or, or do people have to? Is it mainly kind of individuals rather than a team sport? Yeah, so a bit of both. So the the uh, World Surf League is the professional league, and that's where our top surfers, Paige Harrow, Ricardo Christie, Billy Stearman, Ella Williams, Elliot Pyrtari, they travel around the world pretty much nine months a year or more um, by themselves or with friends and they complete, compete at a professional level. And then uh, as an organisation, we send away New Zealand teams, so a junior team, a New Zealand Open team to the World's Surfing Games, that's the Olympic qualifiers, um, stand-up um, paddleboard world championships as well, and then the longboard world championships, so they're the teams that we send away. Cool. Um, now, talking about pro surfing, you had... The biggest event in New Zealand for a long time, all lined up, uh, the Piha Pro. Um, how much work went into, and as, as you say, you're, you're part of the events group, how much work did you guys have to put in to, to pull that together? Yeah, so we were we were part of the group, but it was run by um, the live event experience through Carl Budge and uh, Chris Simpson were, they were the two main drivers of the event. Um, so we worked alongside them, and it was a huge amount of work. I mean, Carl had worked on that for... Um, in excess of three years, I think, to get it going. Um, and, you know, everything was there. Like, the whole place was perfectly set up, and it was canned, I think, 24 hours before we were going to start the first um, event or the junior event of that. Um, 
So your massive disappointment, had like all the junior athletes were there, a few of the senior athletes had already come over from Australia. Um, it was going to be pretty spectacular. We're going to have Kelly Slater here, Carissa Moore, and um, to have that whipped out from underneath you is horrifying. But um, it Cause was... Because you, 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 you were due to go... Lo- so you, it was due to happen days before we went into... Um, or, or the weekend before lockdown, wasn't it, I think? Yes, so it was going to start uh, the 14th of March. Um, and that was the junior event. And then we had the New Zealand trials on the 15th, start on the 16th. And the event got canned on the 13th, Friday the 13th, unlucky for some. Um, proved super unlucky for us. And, yeah, we all rolled into Pihar, had a meeting with the guys. Chris Simpson, he's like, unfortunately, we've had to pull the pin. And it kind of seemed drastic at, at that point in time. Like, there weren't many other international events that had been canned. But within space of 12 or 24 hours i think the uh, formula one event in melbourne had been cancelled and then a few of the major tennis events had been or tournaments that had been cancelled and um it just snowballed from there and it become quite a um a pivotal point for i think international sporting events everything just went by the wayside yeah and you, you made the right call or, or they made the right call yeah, at, at that, absolutely. That, that, that side absolutely. Totally. now for those of you who are interested i mean the pihar pro this wasn't a one-off thing this was part of it. I think it was it three years that it's um, that's booked in for. Yeah, three year. It's a three year um, license, and I think last week was officially cancelled for 2020. Mm. Uh, but they're adamant they're going to be back in 2021 and starting to work with the World Surf League and the major partners such as um, major events and also AT in Auckland as well to get that back up and running. So fingers crossed we'll be there uh, come March next year. So, yeah, so folks, yeah, you've, you've missed that this year, but look, don't worry, it's coming back. Now, I mean, I've only been to Pihar once, but it's a one road in, one road out. Wow, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be a bit, uh, it's going to be jammed, isn't it, when that's uh, when that happens? Yeah, it is. It's a small little place, and um, we've had a couple of events there before where we've packed it out. So, uh, this time around, the guys had an awesome um, traffic management plan that actually calculated how many cars could get in there safely. Um, and allow, still allowing emergency services to operate in that. So there was a um, parking quota that everyone had to go and purchase um, parking tickets. That was the main thing. And um, they were starting to sell out. I think the last three days of the event had sold out. And just through that week, we're starting to sell out as well. So it was, a, it was one of the biggest challenges for the event being at Pihar. Um, and I don't think they really, the World Surf League, hadn't really sort of encountered something like that before. So yeah, it was a interesting little hurdle to uh, climb oh but it's uh, you say the, the, the say three years getting it all set up uh, it was yeah the, the, from what from everything i've heard the organization was was, was all top notch and was was all was all looking good it's a shame that um so how many uh, so obviously with the olympics being delayed uh, how many competitors had you got qualified for for the olympics or was qualifying still going um qualifying was still going but we had two provisional qualifiers so that was billy stearman and ella williams so they qualified via being the top surfers from Oceania in 2019 at the World Surfing Games. Uh, and then our 2020 World Surfing Games was supposed to be next month in El Salvador. So clearly that's been postponed. Um, they're hopeful they'll get it up and running at the end of the year. Um, if not, they'll try again early 2021. And that's when we have a chance to get another two athletes. So maximum we can get is two males two females at the moment we've just got one of each right um now 
for I, I know that with, with this being a, a, a new sport, it's you know, the I mean, surfing isn't as centered around the Olympics in the same way that say rowing or volleyball or, or these sort of sports are. Um, and I know there are people there that have put their lives on hold for four years for an event, and then are like, "Well, can I afford to spend another year out um, before going in?" I, I, do are, are the are your contestants like in that kind of situation, or are they more, or is it more? This is this is what they do full time anyway. And it, it's it's annoyance. It's 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 a complication. It being delayed by a year, but it's not kind of they'll still be competing next year. Yeah, I think it's an annoyance, um, especially you know I guess to be that new kid on the block and to um, get those athletes qualified. And we thought it was going to be such a huge year alongside the PH Pro. Um, we thought it was going to be huge, and now it's bumped out. I'd a, I'd actually only just got back from Japan on the day the PH Pro was cancelled or postponed at that point, um, and we'd been over there having a look at our accommodation, um, all the facilities, meeting all the special um event managers for surfing and things like that so to come back and have that just whipped out as well it was like it was a kind of a double blow um but for our surfers they compete year round like you say they're professional athletes um very much like tennis and golf they're traveling the world competing and at the moment the world surf league and the world championship is definitely the pinnacle and it'll take a while for surfing to be involved in the olympics and to 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 have that prestige i think um we're going to have the top surfers at the olympics in japan anyway and it's going to be a pretty huge day for the sport and i think it provides us a lot of opportunities but at the moment um our surfers will they're at home probably for the majority of this year but they'll be competing um every other month of the year this year and next year as well regardless of the olympics yeah so in a bit like in in, in tennis and golf uh, let's watch. You you rank how, uh, how how good a person was by how many majors or any grand, grand slams they won, not by how many Olympics they won. Um, yep. You're saying for for a while it's still going to be the World Championships that'll be, and it will take time for the Olympics to to unseat the World Championships as being the kind of the pinnacle of the sport. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, we've discussed it quite a lot over the last three years since um, surfing qualified for the Olympics, and it's you know it may take a generation of surfers growing up with. Um, the sport being in the Olympics and them seeing that as one of the pinnacles and um, I don't know if it'll ever um, supersede the World Surf League and that um, World Championship but it certainly can get up alongside it. Now I've one of the reasons that rugby wanted to get into get sevens into the Olympics was around the funding side of things so has it helped you with funding over the last four over the last sort of three years that you get get access to funding is is much more readable ready available? Definitely, yeah, definitely. So um, we've had some really good support. Uh, um, Paige Harrod's been with a High Performance Sport New Zealand for two years um, to support her campaigns on the World Surf League and also to qualify for the Olympics. Um, we've also had support through the Olympic Solidarity Fund through the IOC and the NZOC. So that's allowed a lot of our athletes to come into training camps that we wouldn't other otherwise been able to have run. So really starting to see some benefits there. Um, but it's there's probably a few other bits to it. I think it's around uh, Surfing New Zealand as an organisation taking that opportunity and um, having more mainstream profile. Um, the schools also see surfing now as more of a legitimate sport, so you're seeing more school surfing teams pop up, and that's a real positive as well through the schools. So sports starting to be seen in a different light. So, um, yeah, 
apart from the direct funding, I think there's a lot of indirect um, opportunities as well. And when the actual Olympics comes around, you obviously get the exposure of of it being on TV um, and radio as, as, as well. So there'll also be the exposure piece once the Olympics gets here. Um, so have you did did you have um, I don't know a, a, a plan around how to maximise the, uh, the the exposure during the Olympics? Yeah, we're probably a, a little bit behind on it, but um, we're working on some opportunities uh, and trying to figure out how we can leverage that opportunity or leverage the Olympics. Um, you know how we can bring some um, major funders into our organisation and support our athletes. I think that's going to be um, the biggest thing. Um, but yeah, there's going to be heaps of profile that comes out of it, and um, like I say, it's just up to us to actually grab that by the horns and make the most of it. So, what kind of uh, domestic events do you guys do you guys run then? What, what what's available for for people for, yeah, for the domestic uh, surfers to, to compete in? Yeah, so we start off um, with the primary school championships. So it's a one-off event in New Zealand. We have a scholastic championships as well secondary schools um we have a junior series so that's under 14 under 16 and under 18 so there's eight events around the country that the juniors can compete in and then we have a domestic series for the shortboard competition so there's six events in that um, that all the domestic based surfers can travel around and compete um <clears throat> get a national ranking and um get towards that overall series championship for us though the national championships usually held in january that's the pinnacle event for us it's been going since 1963 and um that's the one title that everyone wants to win in new zealand and uh, being in january luckily you've you managed to get it to happen i guess <laughs> i um is surfing seen as being a, a summer sport or or is it an all-year-round um sport as far as your events and go Yes, yeah, so yes, it's a summer sport, and I'd say participation levels would probably double over summer. But through winter, there's still a heck load of surfers out there. Um, just a little bit colder, but you know, with technology, the the suits that you can wear now are a lot warmer. You've got booties, you can have a helmet, um, gloves if you need to. Sometimes in the South Island, um, for us as an organisation, we like to run our events over the summer months or maybe spring into summer and a little bit of autumn um, purely because no one really wants to go to the beach to watch something um, if it's cold and raining and windy so we focus our attention on the summer months and then um, a lot of people free surf or they go overseas like you suggested earlier to warmer waters and take a trip to Indonesia or throughout the Pacific. Okay so so, so you've been so for, for, a, for an impact on your on, on sport point of view you guys with, with COVID-19 Obviously, you've lost your big event, but the timing-wise, you've managed to get your domestic stuff out of the way, uh, and this is this would normally be your go coming into the quiet time of year for you. Yeah, so we had to we had to postpone uh, five events um, from mid March through to uh, start of May next week. Well, I think we've got two more events that we would have had, so it did impact us there, um, which was a real concern. But we're trying to reschedule those for the back half of the year. Um, but yes, certainly over. For that winter period, that six months, sort of May through to mid-September, um, we're very much into planning, um, we're reporting, then planning for the new season and um, really getting all the paperwork in place so we can get out on the road and deliver um, initiatives to the surfing community. Uh, all in your combis. Um, the, um, the <laughs> actually, sorry, I've said that flippantly. Do, do, do you all have little, uh, little camper vans to take to the beach? 
Some people have camper vans, and it's um, certainly something that we notice is on the increase. So a lot of families will have camper vans, uh, and they'll take their kids away, and they'll all park up and um, be able to get out of the sun, I guess, is one of the key things at events. You know, just having a little bit of a base at the beach that you're a little bit more comfortable rather than just sitting in the sun from 8 in the morning till 5 in the afternoon and um, getting baked. So, yes, proliferation of motor camps is real in our sport as well. There you go. Yeah, it's, uh, also, yeah, you got, yeah, you've got something to get changed to things. Um, total sidetrack, but, uh, yeah, um, I, like, I like road cycling. Uh, and if you're going to go watch a road cycling, it's great to have a camper van because you, you generally you're in the middle of nowhere watching it, and yep. you you can make yourself a cup of tea, and you you've got a you got a toilet which is kind of handy as well. So being able to make a cup of tea on the on the on some of the more remote beaches, I think would be uh, definitely a, a, a useful thing. Absolutely. The um, um, so how do you, you obviously mentioned people uh, you're in schools and stuff? How do people find out where there are surf schools and, and how they can actually get involved? So our event, uh, sorry, our website is surfingnz.co.nz that has um, all the clubs around the country listed. So we have about 30 affiliated boardwriter clubs that you can become a part of. Uh, we also have about 30 accredited surf schools. So these guys are in, uh, have qualified through an international standard. Um, they're the ones that can teach you to get up on your board, teach you all the right safety and the water safety, which is super important for us, um, and get you going as quick as possible. If you're into it, then you move on to the clubs, and there's clubs all over the place, and they have Learn to Surf initiatives, they have club nights, they have community events, so that's kind of the basics of it. Um, other than that, we've got so much coastline that if you really want to give it a go yourself, you can just go and grab a board and jump out in the water. Yeah, it's, it's I believe it's, it's probably about 20 years ago, but I did have one, one, one lesson in Beer Ritz once and yes you can get up on a board in one lesson folks you can stand up and actually and, and, and ride a small wave in uh, and uh, and you can yeah throw your hands up in the air and go yeah i did it um you're not going to look like um was it keanu reeves from point break but hey you're still going to stand <laughs> up which is the big thing yep totally the um how much do uh, is that whole sort of surfing in in movies is, is, is do you find that's a, a, a big way as to how people sort of learn about it and get into sport into it or is, it, or is that kind of a bit old hat now I'm, sh- I'm just showing my age with my gray beard um yes some of it's a little bit corny but we've noticed over the years some of the like when blue crush came out which is a, a female surfing movie um the uptake of female surfers at that point in time was significant um, it does bring it to the forefront of people's minds and they and they want to give it a go. So there's been some classics throughout the years and um, it certainly helps. You know, I, I guess it just puts surfing in front of people that may otherwise not have been interested or even thought about it. Um, I guess New Zealand being so close to the coast all the time, um, you know, you you do have more opportunity to go to the beach and have a look and it may, you know, you may see it. But if you took somewhere, for example, like um, Central or the middle of America or something like that, those people will never go to a beach. So, um, yeah, it's yeah, it's an interesting little part of it. Okay, so lockdown um, recommendations for surfing films. Because everyone's uh, here now. What, what, what's, uh, everyone's trying to find more content to watch. Yeah, What's I think uh, Sky Sport have um, Big Wednesday on at the moment, so there's one. Um, Netflix has some great movies, um, some surfing documentaries and some surfing movies. Uh, um, Bethany Hamilton, the 
um, girl that got her arm bitten off by a shark in Hawaii. She's got a new movie that came out, which is really awesome. Um, I like a lot of the old ones that you can get, like The Endless Summer and Endless Summer 2 are really good to watch. Um, then if you're on YouTube, you can just search up anything. I mean, there's so much surfing content. My girls watch um, Jamie O'Brien vlogs all the time. So he's a Hawaiian surfer, puts out a blog every other week or something. So they're really popular. Um, yeah, there's heaps of footage everywhere. So you go, folks. That's, that's how you can uh, fill your f- fill your lockdown um, time with that. Um, I know your kids are about to jump on and grab all the bandwidth for their schooling. So um, <laughs> trying to uh, wrap, wrap, this, wrap this one up. But any other sort of final things you'd like to tell the people about surfing in New Zealand apart from um, just get involved and have a go? Yeah, I guess just... Um yeah, I think the ocean is pretty cool in New Zealand. It's an awesome place to be uh, for your physical well-being as well as your mental well-being. Um, getting in the ocean is so awesome just to be at one with nature. Um, I think that's one of the main things. And just the physical, the physical. Um, I mean, you don't need to be super physically fit to do surfing or to be a surfer, but if you go surfing, you realise how much energy it takes and um, and how good it is for your body. So it's it's really worth something something that's really worth trying. Um, yeah, give it a go. Check us out on social media if you can at Surfing NZ across all the platforms. They have all sorts of content and uh, funny things that people can check up on. Actually, one of the things I mean, one of the things that's obviously big at the moment is uh, the redu- reduction of um, is about in the, in the environment and, and, the, and the sea is reduction of single use plastics uh, uh, I know in, in the UK you've um, there's I guess it's sewers against sewage, uh, surface against sewage or something like that as well and all that sort of piece how much do you get involved in the environmental side of keeping our beaches clean and uh, and having clean water certainly more and more um, you know with our uh, with our network of board riders clubs, they do beach cleanups, and um, you know, with our events, we really make sure that we're reducing plastic and single-use plastics wherever we can. Um, make sure we're doing a lot of recycling and things. Um, some really good organisations, similar to Surfers Against Surge in the UK, um, Sustainable Coastlines is really good. Um, Surfbreak Protection Society does a lot to protect all the surfbreaks around New Zealand from uh, development and. Um, marine um uh, is it like all the muscle farms and that i think can stop the surf from coming into breaks so they do an awesome job um and there's several other ones as well so just becomes more and more um prevalent as time goes on to make sure that we protect the ocean because that is our field that's our our four lines you know there's the whole ocean the um and i've had i I know that in the uk that, that i think some places around plymouth and stuff have put have put it either either sunk old ships or put uh, concrete things down to, to create a to create a surf do we have any of those in new zealand we did have one at mount monganui and it wasn't that successful so um they've worked pretty hard on them uh, around the world and none of them have been ultimately successful but what we're getting now is actual wave pools so people are building wave pools in the middle of nowhere or um some in california that kelly slater built was an amazing wave pool now there's one in melbourne next to the airport um, and these pools are starting to be become a lot more popular. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, we talked a little bit about Central America or the middle of the Mer- United States. Um, if those wave pools start popping up in all sorts of inland areas, then you're going to see the sport grow more and more. So um, that's something to look out for in the future just with that technology. 
So when you talk about waveforms, you know, you've seen these pop-up ones they put in the middle of malls and stuff, which uh, where you can do a bit of bodyboarding. Are these? Uh, is, is, are you talking about sort of that way you've got a moulded wave with water running over it, or are you talking about a full-size swimming pool with a kind of wave machine? Yep, so those are stationary waves, and they are, the, and they're on like cruise liners and things like that. But these wave pools are like the size of four rugby fields kind of thing, and and they have a, a wave machine that pushes the wave out, and you can catch it. And I think like Kelly Slater's one is actually 750 metres long, his wave branch, which is pretty amazing. So um, yeah, there, there's uh, several different technologies on how to to make the wave. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, the, the one in Melbourne's pretty cool. Uh, a lot of guys from New Zealand have gone over already to test it out and ha- have a go on that. So I think there's there's a few that, that want to see those in New Zealand as well. The guys in Christchurch, uh, uh, they've had a feasibility study done, and I think they're working with the, um, the North Canterbury Council for, in terms of property and where they can put one. So um, I think there'll be a race for a wave pool in New Zealand in the not-too-distant future. Wow, maybe it will become a centre a bit like the uh, the velodrome in Cambridge for cycling. Yeah, um, so yeah. Well, cool. It, that's been an absolutely fascinating chat um, with you, Ben. Thank you so much um, for your time. Everyone, don't forget to uh, like the page uh, or subscribe to the podcast uh, if that's how you're listening to us. Uh, other long talks I've got coming up. I'm talking with the Bowls New Zealand. Uh, I've also got Mike Rogers, the Bay of Plenty rugby CEO and I'm talking to volleyball New Zealand as well so lots of interesting long talk interviews coming up as well Uh, and thank you very much for your support and for following the channel imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 